Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Herschel Petticord III. What a fabulous name. He's also known as Buzz and he's the founder and CEO of In Control Medical, the leading company enhancing female pelvic floor health. Herschel worked for many years in the medical device industry, initially designing the Intone to solve the incontinence problem. And you've established yourself as a leader in the space. Welcome, Herschel, by the way. Thank you. Buzz. Welcome, Buzz. I've been doing a bit of research. You've kind of gone into all sorts of things because you've done in-home heart health equipment and now you're doing the pelvic floor equipment. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are because that's like, it's a medical device uh, background that you've got, is it? Yeah. Roughly 42 years of medical devices in the US. And what Uh, made you do that? That's quite specialized. Yeah, yeah, it's on. My whole career has been medical devices, and I uh, worked for other companies for a long time, and I would come up with ideas for products, and then we would develop them, and then the company would make a lot of money. And then it occurred to me one day, why am I doing this for somebody else? So I had an idea for an in-home patient monitor that would take a patient's heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, temperature, weight, and glucose in about three minutes, and then transmit it to a local home nursing agency where they were monitoring those vital signs. And then they could base their visits to the patients based on the patient's welfare, rather than Ethel in the back room that put together a schedule. Um, and we were able to reduce rehospitalizations by about 72% nationwide. And a little company called Honeywell came along one day and came in my office and said, we like your company, how much? And so I gave them what I thought was a ridiculous number. And they said, okay. And, and which goes to prove you should never be the ones to give the number. Well, let them give the number. So anyway, 90 days later, they wired the money in and suddenly I was unemployed for the first time in my life. And so I went to visit my mother and father in Mississippi, and they're both uh, college professors. And my mother says, well, if you're so smart, why don't you come up with something that'll keep me from having to give up four or five times a night to go to the bathroom? I said, okay. So I went down in my basement, fired up my laptop and, uh, Googled female urinary incontinence. And boy, I was, I had no idea. It was such a big issue. There's six, just in the US, 60 million women that have to deal with one or more types of urinary incontinence. So I spent uh, 18, 20 months researching, talking to physicians. And that's where I first heard of mesh surgery. Looked at medications. Medications have a lot of side effects and they don't work very well. So, but in analyzing the physiology and anatomy, urinary incontinence and bowel incontinence is primarily 
a muscle issue. A stress incontinence is where you have weak pelvic floor muscles and the urethra passes through those muscles. So normally, if you were going to cough or laugh or sneeze, you clench those muscles and it stops the flow and you have your sneeze. But if your muscles are very weak, then it doesn't, you can't clamp down and urine leaks. Or if you're a runner or a jump roper or on a trampoline, you're going to leak. So does the pelvic floor muscles act like a basket in the pelvic floor that hold everything up? And the stronger they are, uh, then you don't have your uh, incontinence, you don't have prolapse, you avoid a lot of things. So the pelvic floor is very important. But then we get to around age 45, where you get to premenopause and menopause, and there's another muscle called the detrusor muscle. Now, you've probably heard the expression overactive bladder. Well, the bladder is not overactive. It's just a vessel that holds urine. But there's a muscle that sits on top of it called the detrusor muscle. And somewhere around that age, and nobody really knows why, they blame it on hormones, but nobody's definitively said. And it begins to lose communication with the brain. So normally, when your bladder fills up, signal goes to your brain, says, hey, Karen, you need to go get comfortable. And then the brain sends a message to that detrusor muscle and says, okay, now squeeze. Well, what happens is that detrusor muscle kind of goes rogue. And it says, I think I'm going to squeeze right now. Well, you're driving down the interstate 75 miles an hour, or you're doing a presentation in front of a board of directors, or you're a nurse in an ER, a teacher in a classroom, and it decides, Karen, we're going to go now, okay? And you go, oh, my God. Well, it's not a little drop or two, it empties the bladder. So that's called urge. You got, I got this sudden urge, I gotta go. And that's what happens during the night when you're sleeping. It says, hey, why don't we get up and go to the bathroom? I'm getting urge to squeeze. So that muscle, you don't wanna strengthen, you wanna calm it. It doesn't hurt if you strengthen it, but you wanna calm it down and say, relax, chill out. You know, we're, we're gonna be okay. That takes a little longer. Our device cures stress incontinence in about four weeks. It can take up to 60 days uh, for urge incontinence, but we have a 93% success rate at solving incontinence, uh, both urinary and um, fecal incontinence. So let me go back a couple of steps here. Do you have a medical background? So you're not a doctor. Where does all your knowledge come from? Well, a lot of I've worked for U.S. Surgical, Space Labs, which was a patient monitoring company, um, a lot of different medical companies, and uh, I have a degree in anatomy and physiology. I was going to go to med school, but I, I spent my first year in college majoring in fraternity, and uh, that's not really good to... Uh, get into med school. I finally got my GPA up to 3.2, but you needed a 3.8 to get into med school. So I got a degree in anatomy and physiology and was freshly married. So I went to work. And, and you were always interested in devices to support people, to help people? Yes, because, um, I mean, I, we kept with the home med company 
I can't tell you how many people we kept out of nursing homes that were able to stay at home because we could monitor their welfare at home. And if they had a problem, the nursing agency sent somebody out to their house. So it worked real well. What's really cool, what's really striking me as you were telling me that story is your whole thing is to find a solution. So you look at what's going on and you go, well, there's there's a big gap here. We're doing things in a way that isn't efficient. It isn't proactive. It isn't kind to the patient necessarily. It's not actually moving anybody's life forward. What can I do to to make a difference there. That seems to be reading between the lines where you come from with all this. Well, it, it you try to shrink things down to the lowest common denominator. And when you look at the anatomy, you figure out pretty quickly, well, this is a muscle issue. So going back to, to the sling surgeries, to me, that was using a sledgehammer to kill a roach. I mean, you're trying to stretch muscles why not just strengthen them and be done with it? Well, because the physicians don't make a lot of money strengthening pelvic floors. They make a lot of money doing surgery. Let's just talk about the sling thing, because I only found out last year that the pelvic floor is actually like a hammock and it's attached at either end or certainly at the front to the pelvic bone. And so one of the issues I had that I didn't know till last year, and I've got four children, by the way, I didn't know that on the left-hand side, three of the strands had actually come away from the pelvic bone at the front, and that was part of my issue. Nobody had told me that. I didn't know. I didn't even know that it was actually stringy. It was like a hammock and what I needed to do. So there's, there's all sorts of basic information that we don't necessarily have, isn't there? Well, unfortunately maybe it's a part of the physician mystique they don't want you to know because then you would understand because you're not a physician you're obviously not capable of understanding basic anatomy and physiology uh so we're not going to talk to you about it we're just going to do this mysterious magic and fix you up and you'll come back and see us again unfortunately some of those physicians lost a lot of patients during the sling stuff because they had to go back and do take the sling out yeah, so you were talking about sling operations. What was that? What is that? Well, they called it sling surgery. It's basically a piece of tape, polypropylene tape, so plastic. And what they do is they go in and attach it inside through the top of the vagina. Um, and they suture it in. They shrink, they pull the muscles together, shrink, uh, put the plastic in, and then for a short period of time, your pelvic floor is stronger because they pull the muscle together instead of just strengthening it to begin with. Well, the problem is that material shrinks when it's put in a warm, wet environment. Most vaginas I've seen were warm and wet environments. Well, so when it shrinks 30 to 40 percent, it really pulls those muscles together and that causes pain. Some women can't have intercourse anymore because it was so painful. And it's hard if you keep the mesh in long enough, it will actually grow into the tissue, uh, making its removal very difficult and very painful. 
But it was popular for a while because physicians told women, hey, you know, we can bring in the OR one morning, we'll do this quick surgery, you'll be out the next day, and your stress incontinence will be gone. It does nothing for urge incontinence, that detrusor muscle. So you might solve the stress briefly, but it's not going to stop that detrusor from saying, well, okay, I'm, you're not dribbling anymore, but I'm going to make you empty your whole bladder. So it was not a good idea to start with. Medications, it's interesting if you go to the FDA website and read the studies that the leading medication, the number one selling medication for urge incontinence, had a four-tenths of 1% improvement over a sugar pill, placebo. Four-tenths of 1%, yet it got approved. The bad news is it increases your chances of uh, dementia by 50%. Oh, yes, yeah, written right there in their submission. So is it worth losing your mind <laughs> to stop from leaking when all you had to do was calm that detrusor muscle? Plus, um, it causes constipation, dry mouth, a couple other things, but dementia is not too good. Wow. So tell me about that. what it, is it that you developed to, to help with the muscle? I you'd never ask. There is a process, and you've, you've seen it before. We use something called neuromuscular stimulation. If you are an athlete and you tear a tendon in your knee and they do the surgery, they want to build back the muscles very quickly, so they put this device on you and make your muscles contract and to gain strength faster. Well, that's the same type of muscle that are in your pelvic floor muscle, a skeletal muscle. So that will strengthen your muscles. And we developed a device that has two different neuromuscular algorithms, meaning one, one has different voltage, has different hertz level. The other one's first calming muscle, the detrusor muscle, and put it all into one device. So we send out two signals, one to strengthen the pelvic floor muscles, the other one to calm that detrusor muscle. And it's used with a transvaginal probe, because that's where the muscles are. Let's go where they are. And it looks like this. And then you see it has uh, surgical stainless steel electrodes on each side. So this is the handheld unit. And this is called a TAIN. So it's inserted. And then there's a little bulb right here, and you pump it up. Oh. Now, why do we pump it up? Well, we want those electrodes to be pushing against the motor points of the muscles. And plus, this balloon acts as resistance. If you go to the gym and grab a barbell and raise it over your head, it may make you feel good about yourself. But until you put weights on that barbell, not building any muscles. So that's called resistance. And progressive resistance is as you gain muscle strength, you add more weights, you gain some more strength, and you add more weights. Well, this balloon acts as that resistance because you can inflate it soft or you can inflate it hard, making your muscle have to work harder to squeeze it. Well, in this particular device, we also put a pressure sensor inside that's measuring the pressure inside this balloon. And as you get stronger, you can change that pressure because you're changing the shape of the balloon. We measure that pressure change, which is directly correlatable to muscle strength. So you physically, as you do your 
exercises. And first of all, it does the exercises for you because it's stimulating the muscles to contract. You don't really have a choice. You just lie there, read a book, whatever you want to do, and it's going to work out your muscles for you. At the same time, it's sending a signal to that detrusor muscle, chill out, relax, everything's going to be okay. Just calm down until a point that it is relaxed and is communicating with the brain again. So we collect all that data and um, let's see if I can get this to come up. So we made it. So it sends that data to your phone and it shows you muscle strength increases down to one one hundredth of a pound per square inch. So as you exercise, you can see, oh, there's my finger. You can see the changes in the muscle strength and we graph it for you. So every day after you've done your exercises, you can bring it up and say, look, my muscles are getting stronger. I'm getting better. I can physically see my results and your doctor can see it or your physical therapist. So it takes 10 minutes a day and you basically lie there and relax. The device does all the work for you. And at the end of seven minutes, it's going to say, okay, now I want you to squeeze on your own. So it runs you through a set of we had a physical therapist write us what they do in their sessions. You squeeze your muscle for three seconds, then relax for two, then you squeeze for 10 seconds, then you relax for two. So at any rate, we have a 93% success rate at curing incontinence. But of course, it couldn't just stay there. I was doing, we were doing some clinical trials at Northwestern University in Chicago had this little old lady in her 80s come in and she went back in the exam room to try her device. Uh, our oldest patient is 98-year-old nun in Connecticut. Uh, hey, we stopped her from leaking. I was a little questionable about that one myself. But So the lady comes out after the session and she's smiling and just happy. I go in and the doctor is just laughing his bottom off. And I said, well, what went wrong? He said, oh, nothing went wrong. Everything went great. He says, are you familiar with female sexual dysfunction? I said, well, no. He said, "Um, well, you know, you're stimulating that hammock of muscles. Well, those muscles, when a woman has an orgasm, spasm. They, They expand and contract. The stronger the muscles, the stronger the orgasm, and the longer it lasts. He says, you need to add a couple of features to this device, and you can create, so you can handle vaginal dryness. Vaginal dryness can be fixed. Our stimulation causes blood flow to rush to that area. That blood flow stimulates lubrication, so takes care of vaginal dryness. Uh, Another dysfunction is uh, pelvic floor pain, where those muscles are so tight that intercourse is painful. Well, remember, we have two signals, one to strengthen, one to relax, one to strengthen. So we teach the muscle to expand and contract and not just be rigid. Now, the last thing is something called anorgasmia. Anorgasmia affects about 15% of women. And it's the inability or difficulty to achieve orgasm. So we went back to research again and came up with another product that we named Intensity. Now, before I show it to you, it is not a sex toy. It is a medical device. 
It's made in the same factory that our incontinence devices are made, but it's designed to meet all of those qualifications. And it looks like this. So you say, oh, well, it's like a bat rabbit vibrator. No. It also has a pump on the bottom, and you can press the pump and it inflates to make sure those electrodes, again, are up against the muscle wall. And it provides the same active resistance. So we're strengthening the pelvic floor muscles, which lead to stronger orgasm, which also solves stress urinary incontinence. Well, most people think that your clitoris is only about this big, you know, maybe an eighth. It's actually five to six inches long, but most of it is on the inside. And so it goes from the outside, inside, and then it splits and runs down each side of the vaginal vault. Well, we put a little vibrator right there. So when you inflate it, it pushes that vibrator up there where it splits. So now you're getting stimulation of the five to six inches on the inside, as well as a little nubbin on the outside. So what you end up with is an external vibration, internal vibration, plus your muscles are moving back and forth, simulating what happens in orgasm. And from what I understand, it works really, really well. So the two things have completely different results. The first one is purely for incontinence. And the second one is more for lubrication and to get the the dry, get rid of the dryness and to strengthen as but it does it strengthen as well strengthens all the walls as well so does the second one stop incontinence as well as yeah so the in the attain saw is think of it this way is 90 percent uh incontinence but about 20 percent of women who use attain because again we're simulating what happens during orgasm also enjoy using the attain the intensity is the reverse. It's more of, we're going to make you feel good about yourself and help solve uh, anorgasmia and dryness, but we also cure stress incontinence. So the attain cures stress and urge incontinence, and you get a little pleasure out of it. The intensity is you get a whole lot of pleasure out of it, but it solves stress incontinence only. Right, okay. So with the first one, how does it give out the two different signals, one to stimulate the pelvic floor and the other one to chill out the other muscle whose name I've got a complete blank on? How does the, that the, work? The detrusor muscle. Detrusor, okay. Yep. Uh, it's actually overactive bladder's correct name is detrusor instability. Oh, okay. The uh, next time I say is, tells you, oh, I've got overactive bladder, you can say, no, you don't. You have detrusor instability. Right. They'll be impressed. So both signals are going out. One is a high level signal for strengthening. The other one is a low level for calming. And the device alternates those two. So I could go into all the milliseconds it uses to get up to the level that it wants to be. And then for two seconds, it's using the low frequency. Then it drops off. There's a rest period. Back, climbs back up again. And then does the low signal drop size. So it literally is alternating back and forth between the strengthening and the calming. 
these are obviously only for women, aren't they? But how does it, you know, because guys suffer from incontinence and, and leakage and everything. How does that work? <laughs> Is that a male one? <laughs> no, that's the same one. Is it? <laughs> it goes in a different place. <laughs> Because it is a problem, isn't it, with prostate? That's the word. Most of the men who get incontinence, is they get it after removal of the prostate. Right. For, usually for prostate cancer. Uh, but again, it's also a muscle issue. And so your colon, it comes down, goes in your mouth, comes through your stomach, little colon, down the big colon. There's a muscle called uh, uh, puborectalis because it's in the rectum, and it wraps like a horseshoe around that colon and gives it a kink and pulls it over to the side. So if you look at a diagram of a colon, you see it come down and then it, it curves. The reason for that curve is to send the signal to your brain that, hey, you know what? There's fecal material. We're at the curve now. You need to go find a place and get comfortable. Well, if that puborectalis is weak, then that curve goes away. Oh. Now there's nothing to tell your brain you got you're gonna have to go soon because it's just a straight shot now. And next thing you know, you go, oh, I just went poop. Which is you know, if you're a gown, you're the first tee at the golf course and you take a really big swing and fill your pants, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> it's a bit more noticeable than having urinary incontinence. Yeah. So our device strengthens that puborectalis muscles so that kink goes back in place. Now you got your early warning system back. Plus, we strengthen the anal sphincter, the, um, the bladder sphincter. We get all the sphincters done at the same time. So worst case, you're going to get a warning so you can go get comfortable somewhere. Why does that muscle degrade? What causes that muscle to become weak? Lack of use. I mean, most people, you've heard of Kegel exercises, I'm sure. The National Institutes of Health say more than half of women who try to do Kegel exercises do them wrong. They, they're squeezing their abdominal muscles or their um, buttocks. But the, the trying to identify your pelvic floor muscles and separate them is extremely difficult. I mean, you got a muscle in the back of your ear. If you strengthen it, you can wiggle your ears. But most people can't wiggle their ears because they can't identify that little tiny muscles. So when they try to do kegels, and again, you're not doing them against active resistance. You're just trying to squeeze those muscles. If you read Dr. Arnold Kegel's paper that he wrote back in 1948, he basically says, if you want to do these exercises, you have to do them against resistance to build muscle. Thus, our little balloon that fights back and pushes back against you, making you exercise of the muscles. So do you see all kinds of Kegel trainers out there? Oh, use our device. And if you squeeze on it, it'll help build muscle. No, it won't. But they sell a bunch of them anyway. So we build ours based on science, physiology, and common sense. And it works. In fact, we guarantee it'll work. If you use our device for 90 days as directed and you're not satisfied with your results, we give you 100% of your money back. You ship the device back, but we give you all your money back. Last year, 2000 and 
well, 2020 was the last year where I've seen we had to give back 0.83% of our customers' money back, less than 1%. So how do you get hold? Is this just available in America? Uh, it's soon going to be available in Australia, actually, uh, and in Europe. Uh, it's all online. Uh, we sell it to doctors here and physical therapists, but we also sell direct from our website. Uh, of course, in Australia, we have to file paperwork with the Australian FDA, but because we have all of that done with the US FDA, that makes it a lot easier. Plus, we have every quality standard known to man. Uh, so we generally don't have a hard time getting permission to sell products in a country. So can we just buy it in Australia and, and the UK? We can just buy it online and get it shipped out to us? Correct. Oh, okay, cool, cool. But you will be having a base over here? Yes. Yeah, right, okay. That's what the lady in Queensland is going to do. She's buying the rights to have all of our products available in Australia and Malaysia, Singapore, New Zealand, not China, but a couple of other places. I think it's fantastic because when we were talking before we started recording, you know, I had pelvic mesh removed a couple of years ago now and had to go and see a physiotherapist to after, both before and after the operation to help with my pelvic floor. But it's still basically Kegel exercises which mm -hmm. I never do because I never remember. But something like that, like why don't physiotherapists know about this already? It would make life so much easier. Well, in the U.S. they do, and they add it as a part of their treatment facility. You still keep your appointments? Because the first thing we ran into, the physiotherapist says, oh, you're trying to replace me. No, we're trying to augment what you do. So you still go see the physical therapist for your appointment. But during the time between that appointment and the next one, you're using our device at home, 10 lousy minutes a day, and you're getting strong between the visits. So by the time you're done, I mean, believe it or not, they actually have a vaginal weightlifting contest. I'm amazed at that myself. The world champion is actually a Russian woman who can, with her pelvic floor muscles, lift uh what was it 14 pounds my mind's just gone off on a tangent that i really don't yeah, want to go public I, with <laughs> mine does too but I, I knew there was a world championship for uh agile weightlifting that's the most bizarre thing i've ever heard <laughs> hoping one of our clients someday wins <laughs> i won the world championship because of my attain device there's an idea. But no, there's actually, if you go on YouTube, there's a video of this woman. Now she's dressed. She's got like a leotard on, but she inserts this egg-looking thing. And um, there's weights at the other end. And next thing you know, the weights come up off the table or off the ground. And I was like, that should be part of the measurements at the you know beginning and end of the treatment. <laughs> Don't think that thought hadn't crossed my mind. <laughs> no, it's uh we we did sponsor the world champion uh ocean racing boat one year uh and one, but we haven't sponsored the weightlifting contest yet. 
It's, it's interesting because, I mean, my pelvic floor is pretty good, all things considered, forceps delivery, four children and all the rest of it. But even so, I'm wary of doing things, high impact stuff, which I can't because I've got bad knees, but I'm wary of, doing, wary of doing high impact stuff. And it would be nice to just not have that in the background. Yeah, and be nice to not have to worry about developing urge incontinence. But I mean, with four kids, you pretty much would didn't stand a chance because gest- gestation obviously stretches those muscles out and they don't just snap back. No. So, but in four weeks, we can make sure you can jump rope, run, whatever you want to do. Actually, that's because this would be fabulous. How would you use it after giving birth? Oh, we actually have this trial going at Northwestern again, uh, where the two weeks after delivery, they're going on our device. And so far, this is it's almost not quite two years yet. No, none of the women have developed urinary incontinence because we strengthen those muscles right off the bat. And, and it's not painful or anything as soon as you give them birth? Not no. after, two weeks after childbirth. Ah, okay, yep. Because when the obstetrician delivered my eldest, it was a forceps delivery and he actually had his foot on the table to pull out my son. <laughs> I should have gone for a Caesar. So they believe that that's where the original damage was done for me was the forceps delivery and the fact that my pelvis was only in diameter half a centimetre bigger than my son's head. So I had all sorts of neural damage and, and yeah, it was just really quite unpleasant. So there was a lot of pain and distress with that one would it help if you're pregnant can you use it when you're pregnant to help no No? Uh, well let's go there are a lot of fda rules that are archaic there's never been any acknowledgement so you've got this electrical current going on right do you really want that Mm. it's going to go into your into the baby too so yeah that for that reason, they say if you're no. pregnant. No. Yeah, fair enough. But before pregnancy, it might be the go before, because you will find it helps with delivery immensely. Now those muscles are strong enough when you say push, out the little rascal comes. <laughs> yeah, my second one, uh, I was in labor start to finish 42 minutes. So <laughs> that was. I, had in, I was induced after that because I thought there is no way I'm going to do that because I'm not going to go away from home. <laughs> I want to be in a hospital. Induce me. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> so, but that was most, I've just, like I said, I've done swimming all my life. I've done horse riding all my life. So I was already quite. Horse riding. Yeah, it is. It is high impact. You're bouncing up and down on the horse. So all your internal organs are bouncing on those muscles, stretching them, which is why keeping those muscles strong prevents a lot of bad things from happening. Like, well, urinary incontinence is bad, but pelvic organ prolapse is a hell of a lot worse. So if you keep those muscles, tendons, everything strong, you're in good shape. You can ride all the horses you want. Do guys have the same problem with the pelvic floor as women? To a degree, but uh, we don't have as quite as many things to hold up like a uterus or ovaries, fallopian tubes. You know, you've got more stuff down there. But um, 
men tend to have stress incontinence after prostate surgery. And yes, it, it does cure the problem. Um, it's funny when I've talked to a lot of men, investors and stuff, and all the men have, well, I've got a guy friend that has that problem. It's, I've never met a guy that had the problem, but he had a friend that had it. Why does the prostate, why does removing the prostate impact men's pelvic floor strength? It's a very complicated and nerve-bound area where the prostate is. And sometimes surgeons aren't as careful as they could be when they're doing that surgery. That's why a lot of guys end up impotent afterwards because they clip the wrong nerve and then the pencil, the pencil won't write anymore. I had to think of some way to say that nicely. In, at any rate, it, they also will clip the muscles sometimes. So this helps rebuild that muscle strength. It's a lot more complicated than you would think. It is, isn't it? I was just going back to that because like where the pelvic floor muscles are attached to the pelvic bone and they come away like mine have, you've then got to strengthen up. So mine's missing on one side. There's some of the strands up just on the left side that have come away. So you've got to, I'm just thinking of, of it from a physio and an alignment point of view. Your pelvis is all going to be out of whack because you haven't got the muscles on one side that you have on the other. Can your body accommodate that? Can it adjust to help you? Yeah, it does to a degree. Yeah. But you're going to strengthen both sides one way or the other because most muscles are going to be contracting and relaxing. Right. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we sign off? I think we've covered quite a bit of ground, Karen. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this. It's been so much fun and so informative. Like I, I love my job talking to people because I just get to ask the questions that interest me. So I like, I'd like to thank you for being as patient with me as you have because I do tend to meander through conversations. Well, hopefully your uh, listeners will gain something from it. And uh, our job is to, or my personal goal, is to create this standard of care. Why go to surgery or medication until you've tried something simple first and something that works? I, I don't understand that. And I, don't, I hate pads and diapers. All the pad and diaper companies go, oh, these, this, these, this panties that holds urine, these are sexy. No, I'm sorry. There's no diaper that holds urine that's sexy. That just don't happen. Well, uh, it's got to be on your subconscious. Having to wear something like that, it's got to impact how you feel about yourself because you don't feel like an adult anymore. You don't feel like somebody who's in control. You can't. Well, not only that, it, women who wear pads or diapers have 41% more urinary tract infections. I mean, think about it. You got this pad down there and you've got a vagina and you got a rectum. Sometimes the rectums aren't spotlessly clean. Now you're going to put water fluid there and that bacteria is going to go through that fluid right into your vagina or into your urethra. Now, all of a sudden, you got to go to the doctor and get some antibiotics because you got a UTI. It's, it's, pads are archaic. They shouldn't even exist. It's a simple problem to fix. It's fix two muscles, and you fix the problem. 
Yeah, look, I think it's wonderful what you're doing because even from, never mind the physical point of view, I think from a psychological point of view, feeling confident in your body, that your body can take care of you and you can feel good about it. I think that's the biggest thing for me, as opposed to going down the pads route. Yeah, no, I'd rather feel like I was doing the right thing by my body and I felt good about myself. I think it's difficult because if you go exercise and you want to build bicep muscles, you can see a bicep. It's kind of hard to see your pelvic floor muscles. That's why we did the send the thing to the cell phone. Now you can actually see the muscle strength increasing and see them getting stronger. Um, but we've had tons of women in their 40s and 50s that suddenly got back in the dating pool. They're afraid to be intimate because they're afraid they might have an accident. So it, it affects a lot of women in a lot of different ways. My mother now has to get up maybe once or twice a week instead of four times a night. Uh, and she's 89. I hope she doesn't get any more illnesses because I'm running out of things to create. The reason I started the monitoring company is because her doctor was not watching her blood pressure. It was very high. So I created this monitor, put it on her, saved all the blood pressure readings for a month, printed it out, sent a copy to her doctor and said, just so you know, I know you're not treating my mother's blood pressure. Well, guess what? She got a call the next day. Come on in. We need to get you some blood pressure medication. Sometimes you got to give physicians a little nudge. Yeah, but it's a proactive solution as well. It's not just a sit back and do something to me, fix me kind of solution. It's going back to the same thing. It's more psychologically, it's more beneficial in a way because you're not just getting somebody, you're doing it yourself. You're in control. Well, that's why, according again to the National Institutes of Health, this is for U.S., but 70% of women with urinary incontinence never tell their doctor about it because they're embarrassed by it. It makes sense from the time you were one year old, your mom was, don't wet your pants, go in there to the bathroom, don't wet your pants. And now all of a sudden you're 40 and you're wetting your pants. So you want to fix that. Mm. We, fix, we make fixing it very easy. So we're a pelvic floor health company and that's all we do is pelvic floor. Just the exercises, you know, you were saying that it's, it's internal. You can't see it like you could if you were exercising a bicep. If your pelvic floor is in really good condition, does that flatten your stomach at all? That's a good question, Karen. I haven't thought about that one. It I guess it depends on how many McDonald's and how many beers you have. <laughs> It'd be interesting, though, wouldn't it? Because that whole group of muscles is interrelated like does it actually make your your lower stomach like because once you reach a certain age you've just got that lower stomach just kind of comes out of it but does it make does it flatten it a bit does it bring all those muscles in I don't know there's a question for you well the problem is the the thing that makes the stomach have a little bulge is not really a muscle just good old common fat I can strengthen muscle, but I can't strengthen fat. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for today. I've really enjoyed it. I did have to have as well. It's ours is uh, an interesting device. Not everybody focuses on the female pelvic floor. 
No, that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is because things like menopause, pelvic floor health, women's issues, a lot of it is still spoken about, you know, whispered behind your hand in um, vague terms. I've got problems down there, you know, that kind of thing. It's not actually openly discussed, which is ridiculous because first and foremost, I want my daughters to understand what's going to be happening to their bodies as they get older. And I also want my sons to understand what's going to be happening to their partners as they get older and not to hit menopause and midlife and wonder what the hell's going on and where's their wife gone because this isn't the person they married, you know. (laughs) We need to educate ourselves more and it's a natural process. It's interesting you were saying about the embarrassment of something one of my relatives had a problem with their heart and they were put on this medication. And when it came to it, they said to me, oh yeah, I had problems. It gave me the runs. And I said, well, have you told the doctor? And they said, no, it's a bit embarrassing. Seriously, the doctor needs to know that you had really bad diarrhea for three weeks. (laughs) Nothing embarrassing about that. But an older person, they didn't want to talk about it. And I think it's important that we move beyond that and we really, we're human. It's not nothing embarrassing about it. We're human. Let's take responsibility for who we are and yes, what's going exactly. on. And educate ourselves. I like knowledge. Give me knowledge so I know what, to, you know, I know what's going on and I know what to do with it. And I think that's the most important thing. Well, hopefully I've bestowed a little bit today lots it's been great thank you so much buzz it's been an absolute joy and lovely to meet you and a pleasure to meet you and hopefully we'll speak again sometime thanks for joining us this week on menopause marriage and motherhood make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player and while you're at it we'd love you to leave us a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would be amazing too Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.